0: Have a Bible, would you turn to Titus chapter 2? Titus chapter 2. And as you're turning there, I, I want to share with you a burden that I have as I I get to work with a lot of different churches and pastors uh, in our country and even around the world. And that is, there's this growing trend, there's this growing trend for churches to pursue uh having only one generation present in the church. And this shows up in two main kinds of churches. The first are older, historic churches, oftentimes uh, that are, have been around for 50, 100, 200 years. And oftentimes, they, they were once a, a, the church to go to, but decline has hit, and they've declined for decades and oftentimes, these churches are at, at the end of these churches, they are full with mostly older members, and they usually struggle to find new life before they close. In the Southern Baptist Convention alone, so I'm a pastor of an SBC church, there are a thousand churches closing every year. It's a staggering number, isn't it? And oftentimes, it are these kinds of churches that are older, historic, and they oftentimes have, are present with, the, with only one generation, and that's the older generation. And then on this side, you often find in church plants, a young church planter will go out and, and go to a certain city and want to reach a certain demographic of person in that city. And a lot of times they're successful at that. The problem is a lot of times it's, it's one generation that they reach, and the church grows, and it is oftentimes full of the younger generation. And in an amazing irony with these two churches, these are two of the most common churches with single generations in them. an amazing irony, it seems the the most zealous and faithful and hardworking of the older and the younger generation in these two churches, they agree on something. You know what it is? They agree the biggest hindrance to their ministry is the other one. So in other words... The most common ground a lot of times these single generation churches have is they're convinced they don't need the other. And what I want to do this morning is I want to submit to you that I think the Bible gives a very different design of what the local church is supposed to to look like. It's, It's a design the Apostle Paul writes to his young protege Titus in the ministry. And Titus is actually establishing churches in Crete. And Paul tells Titus, Implies what the design of the church is supposed to be. So if you've found Titus 2, I want to mention a little bit of context since we're jumping into the book of Titus this morning. Paul's central message to Titus in the book of Titus is that the gospel of Jesus Christ will affect their behavior. So in other words, sound doctrine to which they hold fast to, it will actually be displayed in the way they live their life. This is really the blueprint that that first identifies those who are qualified to lead in the church. So if you look back at Titus chapter 1, notice the flow of this small but compact letter. Chapter 1, Paul opens as he's writing to Titus. And he says, here's who's to lead the church. He's establishing what the church is to look like in Crete. He's telling Titus, as you're establishing these churches... This is what this is to look like. And the very first thing he talks about are pastors. And who qualifies as a pastor to lead the church, who are to exhort in sound doctrine, and then also refute those who contradict it. And then after that, he exposes the false teachers really in their midst. He calls them really gospel imposters. Look at verse chapter 1, verse 16. He says, they profess to know God, but they deny Him by their, by their deeds. And that's important context as we get to chapter 2 of Titus. Because there's this give and take all throughout this letter. He says, this is what the gospel is that transforms you. And now this is the way it should show up in your life. And then he goes back to what the gospel is, and then shows again how that should affect the way we live our life. And it's back and forth in this whole book. And we come to Titus chapter 2, where Paul switches from warning from the rebellious men to instructing them... How to teach, how Titus is to teach followers of Jesus to live out the gospel that they actually profess. And I want us to notice when we read this, in these instructions that Paul gives Titus, Paul gives a very countercultural, and I would argue, counterintuitive design on how the church is supposed to be. That older and younger. Believers in the church in Crete are to relate to one another in a certain way that brings glory to God and shows the transforming power of the gospel. And I want to suggest to you that this design has not changed since then. In fact, I'm convinced that every gospel-preaching church in America and even around the world are supposed to show this same design. Whether it's a 200-year-old church, or whether it's a brand new church plant, or a church that's been here for a while in Graham, Texas. It doesn't matter. It's the same design for every church. So, this is applicable for this church in particular. And I hope you see that. So I want to read Titus chapter 2. I'm going to read the whole chapter, so you will be helped to follow along with me in your Bible. Where Paul's writing to Titus, he says this, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the young men, younger men to be self-controlled. Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works. And in your teaching, show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame having nothing evil to say about us. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness, Exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one disregard you. This is God's Word. Amen. For those taking notes, here's the design I want us to see in this passage of the local church around the world. Regardless of the culture, the age, or the size of it. God's design for the local church is is a multi-generational, multi-ethnic church. God's design for the local church is a multi-generational, multi-ethnic local church. And I want us to look at this text and see it in two main parts. Titus chapter 2 divides well up into two parts. If you look at the first part, it's verses 1 through 10. So take your eyes there. Because this describes, if you notice, the different kinds of people who are assumed in these new churches in Crete. And he's explaining who they are, he's explaining their roles, and he's explaining how they display the gospel in the local church by these roles. Then the second part is verses 11 through 15. Take your eyes there. They demonstrate what the gospel is that transforms these different groups in the church that then empowers them to do what Paul instructed. So, in other words, the transforming power of the gospel is displayed in these churches through the presence and godly example of these different groups that are listed in verses 1 through 10 and the unique roles that they play. So, there's an important note that I want you to see here. These different groups that we find in verses 1 through 10, these are not three separate churches. It's not a church of older members, and it's not a church of younger members. It's not a church of men, and then another church of women. It's not even a church of bond servants and and, and one of masters. There's an assumption in this passage, as Paul writes to Titus, that all those groups are present in each local church. Did you notice, he doesn't write at the beginning of chapter 2, if there's older men, tell them to do this. Or if there's younger women, tell them to do this. There's an assumption in this passage, they're all present. And each of them have a unique and specific and important role in the church. And this is to be the case in every one of the churches that Titus is establishing in Crete. So I want us to look at the transforming power of the gospel as displayed through the presence of three different churches categories of people that I want you to see in those first ten verses. Number one, the first group is old and young. You look, Take your eyes to verses two and three. The older are to teach and train the younger. And the younger are mentioned in verses four through eight. Notice with me in verse four, it's directly said of the older women that that is their role and that they're present. And it's implied in the same way towards the older men to the younger men. I mean, not to mention that Paul is modeling this He's writing to a young protege in the ministry, instructing him. So there's the presence of old and young in every church. Number two, the presence of men and women. Not only are men and women both mentioned here, but each play a specific, unique, and distinct role in the local church. Don't miss how scandalous this was for Paul to write in the first century. Women were seen as second-class citizens up to the point that the church was birthed. And Paul's listing it here as not only are they present in the same church, but women are equally valuable and equally important in the church and have a specific role in it. Also don't miss as we look at this the do you notice the different the varying instructions between men and women? It's like Paul knows what sinful snares men struggle with more than women, and what sinful snares women struggle with more than men. And he lists them differently. And do you notice how those struggles are contrary to what the transforming power of the gospel is supposed to help them be able to walk in? Don't let anybody tell you the Bible is not specific about things. Specific about men and women third group is slaves and masters. Look down at verses 9 and 10. And in verse 9, bond servants is, is mentioned, and they are given specific instructions to submit to their masters in, in everything and how they're to do it in a godly manner. Now, the closest modern equivalent to this, I have did a lot of research on this, there's not one, but probably the closest modern equivalent to what Paul's talking about here. Is probably the relationship between a boss and an employee. There's a authority structure that's in place, but it's not the same thing as we under, understood American slavery in in the 19th century. In other words, there's a lot wrapped up in bond servant master relationships in the first century that we that he's mentioned here in verses nine and ten. In other words, there. Wrapped up in this, there is a socioeconomic diversity wrapped up in verses 9 and 10 with that language, as well as issues of of prejudice in different ways that are wrapped up. Here's the point Paul is making to Titus in verses 9 and 10, as he's talking about the churches in Crete. The rich and the poor were in the same church. That's his point. He's saying the somebodies and the nobodies of the world were in the same church in fellowship together. He's saying the least of these and the greatest of these are all in the same church. That creates this interesting diversity that's supposed to exist. So Paul assumes all these are present, all these, these three different groups, categories of people. And he's telling Titus, instruct the, the men and the women, the, the older and the younger, even the slaves, to conduct themselves in such a way, these ways. In verses 1-10, through 10, why? Because it magnifies... The transforming power of the gospel, which we find in verses 11 through 14. So take your eyes there. It's it's impossible for these groups to want to be in the same church, to love one another, to want to have fellowship in any way with each other apart from, look at verse 11, the grace of God appearing, bringing salvation to all people. Jesus Christ came to earth and he gave himself for us, verse 14, on the cross to bear the wrath of God for our sins, that He might, look down at the text, might redeem us and purify for Himself a people for His own possession, zealous for good works. What are the good works He's talking about there? Look back up at verses 1-10. through That's the good works that He's talking about. Those good works cannot happen apart from the transforming power of the gospel at work in all of those groups. Because I don't know if you've noticed, old, young, men, women, slaves, masters, they don't get along well on their own a lot of times. There's something supernatural that has to happen to bring these people together. And do you realize the stranger, the weirder, the more diverse a group is in the church actually magnifies the transforming power of the gospel to bring us all together in one place, for one reason. And I'm convinced through these instructions, Paul gives us God's design. The design for the local church anywhere in the world, regardless how old or young a church is, the design is a multi-generational, multi-ethnic church made up of all kinds of different people who display the gospel through, look down at verses 11 through 14 again, denying ungodliness, worldly desires, and living sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. So what I would like to do is I want to give you five ways that Redeemer Church can pursue this. So we're taking notes, there's five ways I want to give you. Five ways Redeemer Church can pursue a multi-generational, multi-ethnic local church here. And it's all going to be based on what we find here in Titus chapter 2. So number one, the older are to seek and mentor the younger. The older are to seek and mentor the younger. First of all, I want to acknowledge I'm grateful to see multiple generations just in this room. You need to be encouraged by that. That there's actually multiple generations present here. And so I want to address those who are the the older generation. Men and women. And I know some of you even, probably because of physical issues, can't serve the church like you once did. And that becomes discouraging to you. i found, as I've pastored elderly members for a long time now, I find that's one of the most discouraging things for them in the church. They were the ones that did so much in the church and now as they get older physically, they're unable to do those things. But I want you to see Paul outlines a very valuable way that older men and women in every local church are to serve in a really helpful way. And that is to, to seek and mentor the younger. What does that mean? It's actually not as hard as a lot of times we make it. It's about, it's about being available for the younger. It's about pursuing them, to have a relationship with them. Invite them over. Ask, ask them questions about their lives. I mean, get together with them and read Scripture together and pray together. Take an interest in them and, and pursue them. And if you pursue them and you don't know what to talk about, like, ask them to show you stuff on your phone. And if they don't respond well, well, we're young and foolish sometimes. We need to be taught. We need to learn. Do you notice how I put myself in the younger crowd just then? You like that? The most important thing, older men and women in church, the most important thing is is make yourself available. Pursue them. If you think you don't have anything to offer the younger in the church, I want you to know I disagree with you. but, But more importantly, Paul disagrees with you. He's saying... The primary role you play is an older member, an older, seasoned member, somebody who's maybe walked with the Lord longer than a younger person's been alive. You have something to offer them. But you're the older, supposed to be the older, seasoned, more mature. You're the one who's to pursue them. And I want to challenge you, if you've never been challenged that way, to do that. I'm convinced one of the most redemptive ways God works in our church Is someone who never had a mother or a father that loved them well, that they get a spiritual father or a spiritual mother in the church. And that's a role that you can play in the lives of the younger. And I think it's one of the most significant roles that anyone can play in a local church. Titus chapter 2 reminds us of the value that you have as an older member, even as your physical abilities to serve the church may be changed. So the older are to seek out and mentor the younger. Number two, second way you can pursue this kind of design of a church, the younger are to learn from and care for the older. The younger are to learn from and care for the older. And I think this is just, clear, just as much is clearly outlined in Paul's instruction to Titus, and I want to encourage the younger in the room. Seek out the older. Seek out the older. Sit at their feet and learn from them and listen. I have teenage kids and one of the great blessings it has been for my kids is to have someone other than me or my wife reach out to them to invest in them and to love them. Your first inaccurate response as a younger person to the older is that you think they can't teach you anything. Now, I'm very aware that they probably cannot fix your computer or help you with your phone. But that doesn't mean they do not have something and things really valuable to teach you if you will open yourself up to learn from them. Several years ago now, I, I, I buried a sweet uh, elderly woman in our church, a widow, elderly widow in our church. Her name was Tilly Roberts. And Tilly was three months shy of her 107th birthday. And what's amazing is she had her, she had her, her wit and her mind just all the way to the end. She was an amazing, an amazing lady. And I'll have you know, I spent a lot of time with Tilly, and Tilly did not teach me anything about the atonement. Tilly did not try to change my end-time views at all. But Tilly taught me a lot about life. She taught me a lot about marriage. She taught me a lot about what it means to persevere with the Lord in faith through much suffering. I learned a ton from Tilly. One of my favorite stories of her is, I used to go and uh, there was a group of widows who used to go get lunch together, and they all got to a place none of them could drive because they are in their 90s. And, I would borrow my wife's van for the afternoon, and I would go around to their house and pick them up and take them to lunch somewhere. And they always got to choose where they wanted to go. And they usually, they usually wanted to go to Cracker Barrel. So raise your hand if you've been to Cracker Barrel. OK, you're with me. All right, you know Cracker Barrel. That's important for you to have been in Cracker Barrel for this story, because we go to Cracker Barrel. We sit down. It's really busy, so you know it takes a while to get food. And we're sitting there. And do you know the creepy, antique farming tools that are scattered on the walls? You know those things? Pretty creepy for a city kid, you know, like me. And Tilly spent that time explaining to me what every single one of those antique farming tools were, how they worked, what they did, what, what she watched her dad do. because with She grew up on a farm, and she's old enough to remember when there weren't cars. And she knew every single one of those tools and told me exactly what they did. Now, I'm not sure in a history book I could have gotten taught those things. Tilly taught me so much about all kinds of things that I was fascinated with that I would have missed out had I not, as her pastor, just sat and go on her turf in her territory and let her teach me the things that she knows. So if you're here and you're a younger man, younger woman, don't underestimate how much someone of the older generation can invest in you and, and teach you, and that we are charged to care for them. I've been in Albrindo Baptist Church for 16 years, and when I got there, there were 30 elderly members. The average age is about 80 years old. 16 years later, I have six remaining members of that group that are still alive. They're all in their 90s, except one. And there's only six left. And I actually am dealing with a personal sadness as I watch this last group get old and, and die. Realizing that when they're gone, they're, they're gone. And I just want to encourage you, those who are younger, that you will get older and realize that you missed out if you do not take advantage of the older members who are here and the things that they can teach you. Number three, way we can pursue this design... F- From Titus 2. Be content driven with music. Be content driven with music. So before I went to Auburndale, I spent eight and a half years, usually on pretty large church staff, doing music. And one of the things we were taught there is that, by the way, these were churches that the music ministry drove the church. It wasn't the preaching of the word. It was the music that drove the church. And one of the things we were taught is these churches were being built on the music ministry is that if you want to reach a certain kind of person, a certain age of person, a certain demographic of person, then you have to do the music they want to do, you've got to do the songs they want to do, and you have to do it the way they want to do it. The problem I learned as I served on staff at these churches is that when you cater, use music style to cater to one group, you end up alienating everybody else. And on top of that, you usually do not please the group you're even trying to please. But ultimately what happens is this divides the congregation in an unhelpful, in an unhelpful way. So there's a, there's a lie that, that I think we, we buy into often, and that is, is that younger folks won't come to the church unless the music is hip, cool, and contemporary. Now, I look around and I see some younger folks here, and I'm willing to bet that each one of you have your own opinion of what you want the music to be here. In the same way, older members probably have the same idea of what you want the music to be. I want to acknowledge that, by the way. We, we all, every single person in this room has a different music preference, a unique music preference. I think it's kind of part of being created in the image of God and the uniqueness of it. We have different preferences and likes of music. I'm not denying that at all. In fact, I want to celebrate that. I have four teenage kids. They all like different kinds of music. And as their dad, not only do I want to embrace it, I want to learn. And we drive in the car, and depending on the child, they're turning on the music they listen to, and I'm learning some stuff I hadn't heard before. But it's interesting to me just to learn about what they like and what they want to listen to. I want to recognize that's, that's common. But catering to a certain style to bring people to church is not necessarily I think the most helpful way to build the church even though it's a strategy when I came to Aumonddale 16 years ago we we sang hymns out of the Baptist hymnal we still don't have a screen 16 years later by the way we sing 16 years ago we sang out of the Baptist hymnal the average age was 80 years old 16 years later the average age of our church is about 35 years old and we pretty much still sing from the Baptist hymnal we sing some of the other modern hymns and choruses and things as well. The music's different in the way we do it. The, the, the musicians, the instrumentation, I mean, that's different. Don't hear me. I'm not at all trying to paint anybody, any church, in a particular corner. of You've got you've to do it this way. Here's my point. In our church, every single person there has their own musical preference. I know it exists. And they do too. What we push people to do in our churches when we let the content, the truth, the biblical content to drive our music is biblical truth unites us. And musical style divides us. So this isn't about not being able to have your own preference. Embrace them. But when you do music in a certain way that hopefully is going to appeal to different people in different ways... The truth you sing about unites you. And the more different you are as a church, the more different your ages are and your preferences of music, it pushes you to compromise out of love for each other. And robust biblical content as the focus of singing, it actually unites us in diversity. Because if Paul, in Titus chapter 2, he's saying... Bring everybody who's different than you and looks different than you and and bring everybody together as, as different as you can be. Bring all your musical preferences and differences That Bring them all in. And then sing truth that you agree about because you know you're not going to agree on different music style. Be content-driven with music. It's going to look different in every church, by the way. And there's all kinds of different ways to do music. Here's my point. Paul writes to Titus, and he's assuming something really important. He's assuming old and young are in the same church. He's assuming that there are different cultures in different churches. He's saying the way you bring people together is to sing and agree on the truth that you sing about. And that's how you will unite one another. So here's a good question for you to ask yourself as you leave church every week. Do people leave the service here at this church, do they leave more, talking more about how the music was done or what great truths they'll sing about? Do you talk more about how the music was done or what great truths we sing about? And I will say that we sang some great, great truths today. And though you may want the music to be different, celebrate the truths we sang. And be united around that. Number four. Fourth way we pursue this design. Embrace diversity in your local church. A lot of Titus 2, we realize, focuses on this generational, this old and young. But there's other pieces to this diversity. And it's the makeup of other races and ethnic groups. That extends past old and young. There's a socioeconomic diversity that that we want to embrace in the church. There's 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 racial and ethnic and national nationalities that they're different than us we want to embrace. Now, obviously it's going our different churches are going to reflect the community hopefully around us. And so that's going to affect this kind of diversity and and Redeemer Church has to keep that in mind as as you look around and see the diversity in your community. But if you look down at verses 9 and 10, take your eyes there. That relationship of bond, servant, and master points to this other kind of diversity, of socioeconomic diversity, race diversity, ethnic groups. And the passage in Revelation we we read earlier is the eternal picture that every tribe and tongue and people and nation will worship at the throne of Christ forever. To whatever degree you can pursue that as a church here in Graham, Texas, at Redeemer Church, I would exhort you to do that and to figure out ways to approach that. Number five, last one. Trust in the power of the gospel to unite you. Trust in the power of the gospel to unite you. I'm saying these things and some of you are probably thinking, wow, this, this could get really messy if we did some of this stuff. Yeah, probably is. That's why you have to trust that the power of the gospel unites you in all these different kinds of people coming together in one church. This was best captured in our church several years ago. We had a work day. I don't know if you do this on Saturdays. We have a big, old, historic building that we got to try to take care of. So on Saturdays, we'd have a work day. We'd all come on Saturday mornings and work. And there's a lot of beautiful shrubs and trees around the church that have been planted for decades and is a part of the history of the, the church. And we had a young, single, Scottish guy... About 30 years old, he, was, he came to, to Kentucky to go to school. And he's from Scotland, and he, he's from Glasgow. And if you know anybody from Glasgow, they have a really thick Scottish accent when they come from Glasgow. And for pride reasons, they try to hang on to that accent while they stay here, because then they'll be made fun of if they go home and lose it. So Mike's comes to, to trim the shrubs. He's got some experience trimming the shrubs back home, doing some professional work that way. And then Howard and May... Whitehead also want to work and trim the shrubs in the trees because he's a deacon, and they also planted most of the shrubs in the trees for the last 40 years. So they want, they're going to work together in the shrubs. Now I have a couple of concerns about this. One is is that Mike has a lot of professional work back home in Scotland trimming shrubs, and May, who planted a lot of the shrubs and trees, is not from Scotland. She's from Kentucky and sounds like she's from Kentucky and she planted most of the shrubs and she also loves to give instruction about how to trim the shrubs and the trees that I wasn't quite sure how Mike would receive so they go out there and work see what happens after lunch Mike's leaving and and we walk outside and he's showing me all the things that they did and he starts to explain to me how much he loved working with Howard and May outside he talked about he learned so much history about the church when he when he worked with them because when they're trimming this shrub, May's telling him about what was going on in the church when that was planted. And, and then, he, then this, he goes to this tree, and she talks about what was happening when this tree got planted, and now it's this big tree that's 40 years old. So Mike loved working with them because he learned about all the history in the church, and he loved it. But I hadn't talked to May yet. I don't know how she felt. Until the next morning, I see May. She has this big smile on her face. She walks up to me, and she says, boy, I really like that Mike. He's a good worker. I don't understand much of what he says, but, you know, I like him a whole lot. Let me ask you a question. Do you see the power of the gospel embedded in that? You have two people, different gender, different age, different socioeconomic class, even different nationality. And I assure you they could find all kinds of ways to dislike the other. But they're brought together for two reasons and two reasons only their love for Jesus, and their love for our church. And with spiritual eyes, they're able to look on each other and appreciate the value they are to the church. And they're able to be united and work work together. So my encouragement to you, Redeemer Church, is to embrace this design, whatever it might be, for this church to reach this community around you. And pray that God would bring people who are different than you in all kinds of different ways. Does that make it messy? A lot of times, yeah. But the gospel's displayed in a local church by how different we are, that we would not be together in any way other than the fact that Jesus has redeemed us and saved us and brought us together in one place. Sixteen years later at Auburndale Baptist Church, we have 70 members at our church and a $103,000 annual budget. Not one person in our church makes a six-figure income. Sixteen years later, at least I can tell you, in Southern Baptist life, that is not really impressive numbers to them. Let me tell you a couple other things about our church that I think are more important about than how much money we have or how many members we have. In those 70 members... We have five different generations present in the church. Out of those 70 members uh, that was an all-white congregation 16 years ago, we've had 14 different ethnic groups or nationalities come through the church and become members of the church, and some even became leaders that we sent out into the ministry. We have 35 former members in our church whom we trained and raised up and sent out either to the mission field or into pastoral ministry. 35 former members. We need to be careful that we don't get caught up in the wrong numbers as we evaluate what God's design is for the church. And it's not based on size and it's not based on money. There's a greater thing that's in play here and it's wrapped up in this design. And be encouraged, Redeemer Church, because I look out and already see elements of this design that God has done here in this place. You need to be encouraged by that. But let me challenge you, whether you're older or younger or whatever it is, think about what God's calling you to, to embrace this design. And that He would give you the strength and the power by His Spirit to be able to walk in that. So let me take a moment and pray for you. Lord, thank you for how clear your word is on your design. And Lord, we ask that you would be at work in this place. Thank you for the way you have built this church. The work that's clearly taking place here. But Lord, we ask you would continue to build this church. And help this church to look what you want it to look like in such a way that would display the gospel to this community and even the world because of the different kinds of people who are here, who love one another, are in fellowship with one another, and serve each other. We pray this to the glory of Christ and in his name. Amen.